Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And, and be seated. All right, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> and, and pray with me. God, we are so thankful for your love for us. We're so thankful that you're not silent. We're so thankful that you choose to speak and move and be seen and known. And God, as we continue to consider how it is that we know you, what does it mean to be in a relationship with you, as we sometimes say, what what it means to be one with you, God, grant us grace and mercy by your Holy Spirit. May the words my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're walking through a series that last week we said was, was uh, no small endeavor. We're going to be talking about God, and I know that if you go to church or if you've been to church, if you've been coming, you're like, isn't that what we always, isn't that what you do at church? talking about God, but we're doing a six-week series on God, and let me just pause by saying, and, and, and just a brief aside, like, I know in no way think that six weeks is enough to have a comprehensive study on God, right? But we're doing a six-week series on God because I believe that there are things that we need to walk through and work through as a church and as a people in understanding God and what do we mean by God, and when I say what do we mean by God, I mean what do we mean when we say God? What is it that we're considering? Who is God? What is God like? Remember, we asked some very difficult questions last week. Where is God? And now, now if, if you've been a believer for some time, you, you may even have been sort of... Uh, desensitized, inoculated to... The pro- how profound that question actually is and how reasonable and relevant that question actually is because life is not just rosy and peaches and, and rainbows and gumdrops and, and all of the good sweet things that I can't think of right now. That's not always life. Sometimes life is good. Sometimes we get to celebrate children. But even in the good of that, we recognize, as, as I've already said a couple times today, that, that that good sparks some hurt in some people. And that even though we have children, we recognize that the world is a broken place and there are broken people. And so the question of where is God in the midst of that is not a question that we should be afraid of, but one that we should recognize is is a serious and deep and important question and that we need to delve into. And over the course of the next now, I suppose, five weeks, 
we're going to be looking at some of those questions, and I think some of those can be summed up in how we think about God, in the ways that we've been taught to think about God. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we're continuing that series, and if you, if you look, there's, there's sort of paradoxes, sort of impossibilities that name what we're going to be doing throughout the course of the week. Last week, we talked about how do we speak about God. It's to name the unnameable. God meets Moses in a burning bush because God can't meet Moses face to face. Because God is so holy and other and God that God must be met through a mediator. And so we talked about how language is a mediator for God. We only speak about God in analogies. When we say God is Father, that's an analogy. It's a figure of speech. He is our Father, and what that means is that God gives us life. He sustains us. He provides for us. It's this ancient Near Eastern understanding of what God does, and it proves itself to be true over and over again. And so Jesus rightly, and we rightly call God Father, and in the same way God had to be mediated through a burning bush because of his holiness Moses couldn't God couldn't just show up besides that God is spirit Jesus tells us right and so we talk about how even thinking or talking about God when when we really get down to it can be difficult and and God is gracious and wants to be known by us and so God gave us language and in the same way that Adam was called to name the animals and that that process of naming the animals was not just because we needed things to fill encyclopedias, but because God wanted Adam to see that all of the things that he was naming was not like him. And so names convey in the ancient Near East, and we need to understand this. It's all throughout the Bible. Name conveys meaning. And so as we name God, we're, we're actually saying, well, what is God? Who is God? And this week, we're talking about searching the unsearchables. And I love the text that Jamie read this morning. I love it. Right? Because Romans is one of those books that people read when they're ready to get into a fight. <laughs> not, not always, right? Like, I, I get it. Like, we go to Romans, and, and it's this beautiful explication of the gospel. But, like, let's be honest. Like, when you want to get into a good, like, systematic throwdown, like, everybody goes to Romans. Like, oh, yeah, well, what does Romans 9 mean? Yeah, but what about 10? Like, and, and all of a sudden, like, you get this, like, brouhaha in Romans. And so it's because Paul makes all of these very concrete, very interesting theological statements. What's going on when Paul says that, that the divine or the, the, uh, the invisible attributes and power of God is made manifest through nature so that none are without excuse? or with excuse. None are with excuse. No one has an excuse. What does he say, mean when he says, all of sin and come short of the glory of God, but the, the free gift of grace, right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of grace, of God is, is eternal life through, through Christ Jesus. And then he goes into, well, <laughs> what about Israel? And he makes this, this analogy, right? You, the tree and some of the branches get cut off and thrown in the fire, and there's some dead branches lying on the ground, and God's grafting that in, and then all of a sudden you're realizing, like, Paul is going into really deep theological waters. And Romans can be, especially when you get past the places that are on, like, the road, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you get into, like, eight, and well, eight's awesome, right? You get into nine and ten and eleven, and it's like heavy. 
What is going on here? And then in the midst of that heaviness, Paul ends Romans 11, where he's gone through election and predestination, right? Simple. Everybody agrees on that. We can pass right over that, right? <laughs> to uh, who is the true Israel, right? Simple. No, no, no arguments over that. Into God has consigned people to disobedience so that he can show mercy. Okay, Paul, cool. And after all that, and what this is, and after all that is what Jamie read. And, and after all of that is this verse, these verses in Romans 11, where what Paul then says is, listen to what comes before it. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies, that's the, the Jews now, he's speaking to Gentiles, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Simple, right? I don't even have to explain that. And that's good because I'm not going to this morning. Since God's gracious gifts are, and calling are irrevocable, as you once disobeyed God but now received mercy through their disobedience, so they too now have disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may now receive mercy. Uh, for God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. And Lord, have mercy on us as we try and figure out what Paul is saying there, right? But then what does he say? Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the, of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment, untraceable his ways. What is he talking about? See, this is what I love about Paul. That for as much as we think about Paul, loving certainty and minutia and details. Like Paul writes about theology and he sings about mystery. He's writing these detailed theological points. He is at the end now of this theological treatise. Next is uh, Romans 12, which begins, how do you live in light of all the things? Now, brothers and sisters, I appeal you in light of the mercies of God that I've been talking about for the last 11 chapters. But before he does that, he gets his theological groove on, and then he sings, oh, the mystery of God. How unsearchable are his ways. How deep are the riches of his mercy and his love. Who can know them? He sings about the mystery of God. And we talk about searching the unsearchable. Because Paul says he's unsearchable. We realize what Paul is talking about is mystery. And Paul talks about mystery over and over again. Think about the things that Paul calls mystery. Marriage. This is the mystery of marriage. That it represents Christ and the church. The resurrection, the faith. These things, he has this certainty to them, but his certainty never seems to make his mystery wane. And we're reading this through the lens of the Reformation, of Protestantism, of Roman Catholic scholasticism before that. 
We're reading this through the lens of systematics. And these things I am not saying are bad things, but sometimes these things can cause us to come to a place where we believe that certainty and specificity are to be desired more than mystery and wonder. Last week we talked about the wonder of the Lord. And this week we're talking about that mystery, the mystery of the faith, the mystery of what God is doing. And in order to understand how this works, how, how Scripture thinks about mystery, we have to, to put it over against the region and the part of the world that it was in. Right, Because the, the Judeo-Christian faith wasn't born in a vacuum. It was born in a region and in a time. And so uh, we get these stories of Moses and of God creating and God speaking to Moses and God speaking through Father Abraham. And this happens in the ancient Near East, right? And so we don't know the exact regions, right? We, we can kind of put some places on the map. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen them draw out like Moses' journey with the people through the wilderness. Like we've got an idea, but some of these places we don't know. We haven't found yet. They're buried under sand. But there's a region, the ancient Near East, and it had its own set of stories and its own set of myths and its own creation narratives and its own resurrection narratives. And those narratives, what's interesting is that they are distinct from what comes out of the Judeo-Christian text. Like what we find in the scriptures are distinct from those. Because those Ancient Near Eastern myths, along with so many myths, along with so many stories of how the world is, the attempt that's going on is explanation. And, and, and let me try and unpack that a little bit for you to say this. Like, I never understood why you would create a myth until I had kids. <coughs> Particularly, like, kids that are starting to ask that question, that, that question that is so important to human existence and so for parents. Why? Why? Why is it hot? Well, it's hot because the sun is emitting heat and it's warming us and we're closer to the sun now because, okay, yeah, well, why is the sun hot? Well, it's chemical reactions because it's, it's not, like, it's a ball of gas burning. Remember Lion King? Right. Ball of gas millions, billions of miles, like, and so it's gas, and it's reaction, and it's heat, and why? Well, there were these ancient, there were the titans, and there were the gods, and they fought, and their anger made a sun. I don't know. That's all I got. That's the story, right? How did the river come about? Well, or, or, like, what should we do? How do we live? Explanations. Uh, well, if you're an agrarian culture and winter comes, you might begin to wonder if you're ever going to eat again. And so you start to tell stories of gods dying and being reborn. And these gods happen to be assigned to very specific things, agriculture, grain. Right? And so you're telling these myths. These stories are about explanation. So just like the god of the, the wheat dies and is reborn, so the wheat will come back. So keep planting and working. Explanation. And then here comes the God of the Old Testament. Here comes the Judeo-Christian faith. 
And all of a sudden, it's very funny, like the Bible isn't concerned with explanation. Where did God come from? The Bible doesn't care to answer that. It doesn't even care to give a like he's always been, right? Yeah, we get like uh, the, the eternality of God in there, but it's not by way of explanation. Even, even the Genesis 1 poem doesn't really explain what, how God did it, right? There were, he speaks and it happens. But why? Like, did, did, did he, why? In fact, the only thing that you get that sort of that sort of explanation of his humanity, and even that is, is not really about explaining that God made people out of the dirt. It's explaining that God made humans different from how we made everything else, and, it's, and it's, there's this mystery that's held in, in, in our story of God. It's not, it's not like other myths, if you want to say that. It's not like other stories, and I know some of you are like, myths, right? Like, overarching explaining story of the universe and how it is. Not necessarily like false narrative with da 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 right? It's not like other stories. It's not like other religions. It's not like other ways of, of, of knowing what is real and true and good. And so, right off the bat, what we see is that the ancient Near Eastern myths and stories of God, of gods, of the gods, the, those myths, they were explanations. But when you come to the Judeo-Christian story, it's an invitation. It's something altogether different. The other stories aren't inviting you to join into the spiritual, into the divine, into the life of these gods. Yet this one has a God who joins in our story, who's concerned with people who are and, and who currently exist and, and is calling people into his story. And all of a sudden what you see is that mystery is an invitation. The scriptures, when Paul talks about mystery and he sings about it, he's inviting your hearts in to explore, to search the unsearchable, to plumb the depths. When he says, oh, how unsearchable are his ways, he's not saying, so don't try. He's saying, come and see how unsearchable those ways are. Explore the depths of God. He's not presenting a God that is the, the, of the God of the gaps, right? We don't understand this, so we're going to say it's God. He's saying, even if we do understand it, it's God. And the things we don't understand, God's there. And in all of these things, you come and you search how unsearchable and how deep his riches are. And so then mystery becomes an invitation to explore. And I love this. Because that's what Paul is doing in this text, in all of Romans. He's exploring grace. You say that God is gracious. You say that we've received grace because of the work of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? And so consider how Paul explores this mystery. He starts by exploring God. What is God like? Then he explores us himself, us, ourselves, humanity. 
what are we really like? And when we explore what God is like and when we explore what we are like, then there becomes this even bigger question. It's this problem of how do we reconcile these two things? So then he begins to explore the work of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation. Mercy. So when we say as a Christian, explore these things, this is what we mean. You are free to explore the depths and the riches of God. God wants to be known by you. And God is greater than you ever imagined. That exploration of the mystery that is God is a lifelong journey of knowing him more deeply, of loving him as a result more deeply. And mystery invites us to do that, but then it also invites us to get to know ourselves and one another better. And so I want to I stop here and just make a practical point. Because it's easy for us to understand that God, God is infinite and beyond us, and, that, and when I say understand, to sort of consent to the fact that we'll never, like, I just, I'll never know all there is to know about God. But man... I think I know myself. I think I know my heart. And what's amazing is that I don't. I'm, I'm married. I love my wife. We've been married coming up on 13 years now. 2017, 13 years now. Uh, this month, in just a few weeks, 13 years. And she'll say something about me, and I'll realize that in 34 years of living, I did not know that about myself. But it's absolutely true. And the reason I didn't know that about myself is because, as the scripture says, my heart is, is deceitful. Like, I deceived myself. No, I thought I had that down. I thought I was pretty good at that. But it turns out I'm not. It turns out I need grace more than I even ever imagined. And as you get to know yourself more and more, like this is a part of sanctification. Sanctification isn't just the process of knowing God more. It's the process of understanding yourself more deeply so that you more deeply understand your need for God and for the work of Christ and for the Holy Spirit. And it's this process that makes you humble all of a sudden because when I know myself more, I can't be proud. Trust me, if you knew me, <laughs> I can't be proud. And then when we keep getting more and more practical, we talk about family and relationships. We want to be in relationships with one another. Some of you are married. Some others of you are friends. Some of you are parents and, and children. And, and, and you cannot forget to continue to search out your spouse, your friend, your children, your loved ones, your parents. Because they are complex. We are complex beings. And we are mysterious. We don't always, like if a computer had to plot out how we should act and it did it with precision and certainty, we would never follow that. It's why we could never say digitize law enforcement. You couldn't do it. Because people are too unpredictable. This is what makes sense. And then all of a sudden you throw in like love and people are like and all, it overrides all sense. And all of a sudden you're going a different, or anger. And it's like, well, you shouldn't have done, why did you do that? I was angry. I 
don't know why I did that. And all of a sudden, exploring yourself becomes more and more important because you realize that we are mysteries. Little mysteries reflecting the great mystery. Mystery is an invitation to explore. But see, mystery is also an invitation to hope. And I love that he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or, or has been his counselor, and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Can be glory forever. And all of a sudden, here's what we see as we explore those mysteries. This is all way bigger than me. Like, in, in some regards, like, we love to fool ourselves into believing that we're in control, that we've got the reins. Then when you begin to explore the depths of the earth, I love this, right? Like, so, so I think in the same way that there are, like, Christians who are just kind of full of it, right, of themselves, and they, they think they've got it all together. Like, we see that in the sciences, too. But what I love is when you find an, a, a scientist who is so very uh, passionate in, in what he's doing or what she's doing that all of a sudden um, there is this sense of, like, this is way, this is way more than we ever imagined, right? At one point, we thought, like, Thales, right, if you know him, at one point we thought the base root of everything, like the base component of everything was water. We thought it was water, and it makes sense. Like, everything you, that happens to you is kind of liquidy, and so it's like, maybe we're mostly water, and maybe, mo like, water keeps coming out of nowhere, seemingly, right? And so water, water is the base unit of everything. And then all of a sudden we, we go further down and all of a sudden we atoms, it's atoms. Atoms are the base unit of everything. You can never get smaller than an atom. We've done it. And then somebody's like, but what if you could break an atom? And then we do. And we realize that's, that's where it stops for me. That, that's freshman year of college right there. So we realize there are other things smaller than atoms and there are things smaller than that. And scientists are left with wonder at how much we don't know. Like, honest, true, like, the fun scientists, they're like, the universe is infinitely big and infinitely small, and we don't really get either of it. But sometimes we make these really cool guesses, and they seem to work. Right? You, you get small, but, but there's this invitation then, there's this reality that because I'm small, because I'm so incapable, I need, I need a hope. I need something that is greater and truer and wiser, more loving and more merciful, more gracious than I could ever imagine. And Paul has just unpacked the gospel of God's saving work through Jesus. And he says, here is that thing that is unsearchably good immeasurably great and hope and then he uses this word that I love forever I love the word forever for the same reason that I love like sci-fi about time travel is because I have I've, since I was like seven I've had this really odd awareness that I was just gonna die like and I've thought about it a lot like a lot of people we don't like to think about it but it's true y'all like it's happening right I don't know when but we're working our way to it I, I went to sleep last night and I was thinking well 
one less day. <laughs> I don't know who does that, but that was me. And so when you realize that you are finite, that there's an expiration date, like you begin to love like time travel and stuff because you get to see it all. Or <coughs> you love the word forever. Because the question of hope is this. Is this all that there is? Is the universe dark and broken and cold? And is your participation in it finite? Is this broken shell of a coughing man who should have taken more science so that he could have known what was smaller than an atom? Uh, is this all? Is, is this it? And I love this, but when it ends, is that it? And there's this angst and this exhaustion. But hope, mystery, is an invitation to hope in God, to hope in forever, to hope in the cross of Christ, in the work of God in our lives and in mercy and in eternity. And we have this hope beyond even death. And so we can sing, death is defeated and Jesus reigns. And it's hope. And then finally, because this is, this is I think, what's, even maybe the most interesting to me, the way that the New Testament especially uses that word mystery. Mystery is not an invitation to stagnant. If you can tell, I'm being very careful with these words. Mystery is not an invitation to stagnant, sort of static, grasping to dogma. There's truth. We believe truth. I have, to, I have to cushion this. This is why I'm like, there are things that are true to the Christian faith, and we believe this. But as we said before, there is a point where you come to those things and you think you've got figure, God figured out. And you think you've got it, the faith, figured out. And you think that you've crafted the perfect system that God fits neatly into. Right? And mystery blows those things out of the water. Mystery says, God does this, and then he does this, and that's just what it is. Mystery says hypostatic union, and well, no, mystery doesn't, right? Mystery says Jesus is God and Jesus is man, and we say hypostatic union, that's how it works. It's, it's, it's a made-up word <laughs> to say we don't know how it works. And mystery in that moment is not an invitation to explain it away. Mystery is an invitation to believe, to faith. And this is how God, or Paul uses mystery and how God through Paul uses mystery is you don't know. And yet you know. You can't explain it. It's deeper than you could ever go and you are casting yourself fully into it. Belief, faith, the work of Jesus, the mercy is, this is what Paul is talking about. This is what I, it's so, it's mercy. It's saying your disobedience God turned around and used for your grace. What do you mean? Oh, the riches of joy. Be believe, trust in what the Lord is doing. This isn't a, this isn't a cup. This is just, just wonder at it for a second. Consider this for a second. That 
if, if you, if, if, if there was like a catalog of you, and so there was like a seven series of novels that were your story, but then there was also like a, a 12 series of encyclopedias that were like the systematic definitions of you. So it broke you down into like your scientific pieces and then your like existential pieces in story. And then if there was like the book that you pull and the, the, the shelf opens and then you go down into like this, and there's all the like forbidden books of you, the things that you've buried and hidden. That God has read and is familiar with and in fact wrote and knows intimately all of those things. Your story, like all of the components of your life and your deepest, darkest, worst secrets that are hidden. God knows all of those, right? So he knows you fully and God loves you still. Maybe it's just me. But the question that I'm left with is, how can this be? And there's this mystery of a merciful God who is working out mercy and grace. And that mystery is an invitation for me to cast myself into it, to faith and belief. And it's an invitation for you to do the same as well. And so we see then because I said that was the last point, and it really is. There are certain things that we need to navigate and to cast ourselves into this mystery, and I love it because, because in Scripture we see that Christ is the fullest revelation of the mystery of God and the mystery of faith, but he's not the end of it. So Christ becomes our guide and at the same time the object of our faith. And then the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. I don't know how you grew up, right? It was Holy Ghost, <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit empowers us to plumb the depths of the mystery of faith. And all of a sudden you see that God, the Father's will, Christ, the Son's, fullest revelation of that mystery and entrance into it. And then the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, empowers us to plumb these depths, that there is this triune invitation into the mystery and the life of God that is for you. And how does triune work? That's well, a mystery, but one that we're so thankful for. Would you hear the call? of the triune God this morning. Let's pray.